From Editor-at-Large, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. Despite having to learn the metric system and Mandarin, Campion Platt believes China is the land of opportunity for designers willing to make the leap. In an exclusive story in the summer issue of Business of Home, the designer unveiled his collaboration with a major Chinese developer on a one million square foot design center for luxury brands. Now we're sitting down with Campion as he explains how he got involved, as well as the scope of development and the design opportunities in China. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is world-renowned architect and interior designer, Campion Platt. Campion, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dennis. So nice to have you. And we have an extra special guest with us today. The editor-in-chief of Business of Home is joining us as well, Caitlin Peterson. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. So nice to have you. Part of the reason that Caitlin is here is because Caitlin and Campion have been spending some time together working on one of the lead stories for the upcoming issue of Business of Home, and we're holding this podcast until that issue comes out so we don't give anything away, but now we can talk about it. How long have you been working on this project? Question. It was you know, starting many years ago, and so it's been a long road, yeah. and we're actually just now Literally, three hours ago, I had a conversation to finalize some contracts for the work that we're just about to start, which has been ongoing for since March, back and forth conversations and everything else. So this is really breaking. This is happening. Right yeah. Now. So last year, last said, last year I, I landed in in Shenzhen, and um, it was interesting. I was with my partner Jack, and I was uh, he had set up a dinner with this woman who had this business. And to give you a scale, to give you a sense of scale of what's going on there, this, been, this woman was not really even in the design business, but she kind of fallen into it because she knew these developers in, in Fuhan or one of these other second tier cities, like a Nashville or someplace that's kind of growing right now. But, okay. And, uh, you know, in a city where, like uh, Tianjin, which is a satellite city to Beijing, right? When I flew into the airport in Tianjin, I counted because I was noticing a lot of construction each time I went. I said, okay, well, I'm going to start to count. So I got out of the, I got my taxi, went from like one down, one road to where I had to have my meeting, and I counted 55 skyscrapers along the way, all like 30 or 40 story. So I was talking to this woman. So her business was, she was working for these developers in this tier two city, and this goes back to the story about, you know, what I'm doing there and why I'm doing it. There's really no professional interior design in that country. Okay, here we go. So... In this second tier city, there's 500 apartments in one building and 700 in another, and not a single person who's purchased those apartments can go somewhere to buy furniture because there's no furniture stores where that city is. So they want a company to come in and do it. So these developers call this woman and say, okay, well, we've got clients for you. She goes, well, how many? 1,200. <laughs> and they all need furniture. <laughs> So just, just pick a plan A. A designer's dream. Pick a plan A, a plan... She said, I, I have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. So that's classical, transitional, contemporary. And in that, you can't change anything. You buy my package, I won't change a single art print or anything. Because I've got too many. If you don't want it, fine, right. go find somebody else to do it. Right. By the way, I'm the only act in town that can do this for you. Yeah. Right? So she was... When I met her, and she was panicked because she had to hire 40 people... Um, to try and put these packages together to sell these units. And she was doing, she was installing 30 apartments per month, 
uh, at a rate of about $300,000 an apartment. My so goodness, just, okay. Just think of those numbers. Right? Yes, I am thinking of those and numbers. I, I want to get over to China. So during my travels, and also I went in Beijing, I met an uh, interior design company, and they had done uh, 6,700 projects in the last six years. So 1,000 projects or more <laughs> per year. Wow. And they had 200 people working in their shop there. Nobody was over the age of 40. Nobody had ever had interior design education. And they were just sitting in the back room on massive computers, cobbling together presentations like you look in Teen Magazine with a big W in the beginning and then an image of a chair and a lamp and kind of a 2D plus landscape uh, presentation. Okay. So what I saw immediately and what happened after traveling to all these different towns was that people asked me, hey, can you start a design camp? Ah, uh, okay. Can you like bring people to New York and give them masterclass trainings? We can't, we can't do a full education. We want to train our senior executives on color theory, uh, furniture planning. These are kind of very simple things that you learn first year here at the great schools in New York City. Right. And they had no previous knowledge of this. And so I began to see kind of writing on the wall. Here you have a country with incredible expanding wealth, a great interest in American design, construction on steroids, a lot of Western product there already, but nobody to connect the dots. Got There's it. no interior designers. So let me tell you what we're doing there. Please. It's about a million square feet, which is huge. Each floor plate's about 150,000 square feet. And we're doing an American, we're basically doing the American pavilion on the third floor. And what they're doing is, um, I'm designing a, a show space, about 15,000 square foot show space for them. And what we're doing is trying to bring an umbrella of American luxury brands into this building. And so from the ADC 18 years ago, now on uh, to the IADC, they see this market and this continual interest of of developing international brands, and in particular, American brands. So the Italians have been in China since Marco Polo. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, and they have these great brands, all the ones that you know that are there. Um, but people are looking for something different. And they love all things American. Okay. Um, they like the kind of handcrafted, good quality of American furniture. Um, interestingly, I think the scale for a lot of the furniture is a little bit too big for some of these apartment buildings like I mentioned where you're doing 500 sure. apartments sure that's what I was wondering so I so mean, you have to scale wise. some of the furniture okay. down and we're actually talking to some other companies about doing collections I'm interested actually to do because uh, I've done licensing before to do licensing with Chinese companies for Chinese distribution only okay because the market's so big yeah it's you know it's ten times the, the market here so uh, within this building where which is nearly completed now and almost 100% lease that they're working on phase two already um, we're going to be developing this American pavilion. And the idea is that it's a very kind of curated environment. So it's not like the other shops or other places where you go and it's little, little rooms or kiosks where it's all packed in to get as much furniture with little labels for price labels. It's more curatorial like a museum. And, and we're going to edify the experience both from the consumer but also from the designer and the companies that are coming there. Uh, we're talking to you know, 10 to 20 brands. We'll probably get 12 to 15 top brands to come over there. Okay, big We're, American brands. Yeah, that you but, but one, so, okay. you know, what they know of over there is they know Century, they know Bernhardt. They do, They know okay. Lexington, okay. Vanguard. Those are all companies that are there right now. That are there, right? Yeah. And they're taking space in this building, but we're shooting for a higher level. Okay. 
So after you know getting a few gray hairs in New York, actually a lot of gray hairs now. I haven't um, noticed. I don't see that. <laughs> uh, over over the last thirty years, you know, I've established a lot of really good relationships, good working relationships with um, a lot of these companies, which I call the kind of the Uber brands, the places that we all know and shop here in New York City for our clients at the okay. at the high end. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so um, we've talked to them, and some of them are smaller, and some of them are bigger. The smaller ones are kind of doing it on a flyer saying, Campion, if you're going to go there and do it, I'm going to go there with you. Because okay. it looks like it's a good idea. That's great. And by the way, they don't have to pay any rent. Right? We're bringing them in. We're going to showcase their goods there. They want to get space down the road. They can. But this is more of a letting the market know what's out there. So it's just going to be part of the pavilion. Yeah, because the, the, average, the average consumer thinks that um, the baker is the highest level that one can go in American furniture. Right. But it's not. There's other brands that are out there, equal, better, based upon a particular viewpoint. Sure. And so we're going to give them that opportunity. And that's the goal here in the building, to give them this kind of umbrella area to be able to showcase and sell products from, from the, the higher-end people right. that, are, that are well-known elsewhere. And by the way, the consumer who doesn't have an interior designer there, who has traveled to Paris and stays at the Ritz, and you know, walks around the sixth in, in Paris to go shopping. They they know good taste now, right? And if they can't find it locally there, well, where are they going to go? They're going to have to come to New York to go shopping. So instead of doing that, why don't we bring that shop there and give them that experience? So are they able to do that? Are they able to? I mean, can they go abroad and pack a container like a lot of people in the states do and, and bring things in, or is that? Or does it really have to be in, in, in China in order for it to really be sort of feasible? Well, you pay an import duty and there's tariffs and mm-hmm. there's lots of kind of red tape to get things done like anywhere else. Anywhere else but India. India is the most difficult. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, the, I, I try and stay more on the creative side and working right. with them on the kind of brand and strategic development saying, this is the direction I think you should go. And by the way, I've got some good friends in the business who, who know about this as well. And so... Right now, we've just launched, and we're actually just in the like in the next week or so, going to help them on the whole social media side because we're developing the the IADC experience, but for uh, front facing American community and and European community. Well, I think what's so interesting about the IADC as a development is it's not just the design center. Right. And I was, can you talk to us a little bit about it's an entire loop of. The design school creating new consumers to shop right. at the design center right. and then building out a community for them. So last year when I was talking to them about this, well, you know, year, we've had kind of two or three big meetings here and in New York, uh, here in New York and, all, and also over there. The, the first idea was, and going back to this idea that they don't have a formalized professional education of interior design in China, um, whereas they have a very mature one uh, in architecture. Um, and born out of the fact that all these people were asking me to do a design camp. I started working with Jack um, Kong, my, my buddy, to develop a design camp here in New York. And we had it set up last year for last July, but it didn't work out for visa reasons from the local people over there. And um, it, was all, it was okay because we were down a different road in, in trying to develop uh, the idea and the model of bringing a school actually back over there because the developer okay. wanted that component. So not only, and thank you for bringing that up, Caitlin, the, the idea that it's, this is not just a consumer model. This is a holistic growth for the future model in which they want to have a, a very serious Western interior design school that's accredited, 
Uh, and so we're just in the death throes of getting that set up now for them as well. Um, <laughs> okay. And that was actually what I started my design work with. I'm going to be I'm supposed to be designing that school. That that agreement hasn't been finalized yet. That's what you're still waiting on is the design school itself. Right. Which right. is uh, which is an adjacent building next to the IADC. It's about uh, 55,000 square feet school area. Okay. Over three three floors, so it's a big complex. Yes. And they have a they have a design museum and they have a performing arts theater. Similar to uh, to Kohler, where they have an artist in residence program mm, uh, okay. in Kohler, Wisconsin, they right. bring people in and to kind of teach and learn about ceramics and also to create, you know, because an, an innovation hub. So they're looking to that component as well, because all the kind of local great furniture people could come in and teach there as well. And so they they have the money and the wherewithal to go the long term to develop all these programs simultaneously uh, and synergistically. So where you are at the IADC, which is opening at the end of this year, right. what is the, the longish view? Five years, ten years from now, what does that system look like and what are the, what are the opportunities there for people who get in now? Well, you know, it's interesting because we've been working with them on trying to create the social media presence, so we've been asking for assets. You know, give us all your images and your videos and everything else that yeah. they've produced internally and also for their Chinese web websites and experience over there. Um, and so I'm actually just finding out some other stuff that's happening in this same area. There's a whole other complex that's probably four times the size of the IADC complex. It's going to be an expo, another expo complex, and then a whole other kind of town that's getting built around that. So they're in there for the long haul in that particular area. <clears throat> but I think it's fair to say that this kind of model in particular where you have these uh, the luxury brands and in concert with the general uh, trend within the country uh, on the kind of luxury end of business um, that you're going to see a lot more of these. You'll see one back in Shanghai and some people ask like, oh, why are you doing something in Shanghai? Well, Shanghai is a great city, but it's not the center of design anymore. Okay. Um, Shenzhen was recently named UNESCO World Heritage City of Design Site. So there's a lot of energy that's being right. put into that, okay. in particular in that area, because you have you have a you have production mm -hmm. facilities nearby. You know, Guangzhou is a center where most of the American manufacturers are are having Chinese goods made. Guangzhou City as well. Uh, Hong Kong is right next door. You're if you're in downtown Shenzhen, you're you know one cab ride and a passport away from getting into Hong Kong. And Disney World's 30 minutes away, and the beach is 10 minutes away. Well, so as you say, a lot of American companies are already producing in China, but, but to export back to the United States. Right. So would many of them simply start to keep some of that production there, or keep that inventory there? Yeah, I'm, so I'm talking to, to two carpet companies, and they go, oh, it's going to be so much easier because we make our I stuff... I'm already there. We make our stuff in Nepal, we just kind of schlep it over the mountain, down the hill, and into town. Right. So the Chinese are already making a lot of the product that's coming to the States. Yeah. So rather than being exported, it'll just stay but, there. You know, for this luxury level, what they're really looking for, and, and so uh, you know, because they are already interested in buy a lot of Italian product, everyone knows about the fine Italian craftsmanship and the right. leather quality and sure. just just a higher level. And you, yeah. you know, everyone shops that around the world and people go there because of that. And so for that reason, they're very interested still to have stuff come handmade from America. Okay, so they America. want the things they can't make yet. Well, they might be able to make them, but, you know, the, the, in the world of, of retail, um, provenance 
speaks a lot right now, right? It's where it comes from, it's how it's made, it's the materials, it's the eco story behind it. Okay. Um, and, I, and that's becoming more important to the average Chinese person who, who is educated enough and now wealthy enough to be able to procure these things. And, and is the eco story really resonating with people? I mean... They're very serious about that over there. Now? Yes. Okay. I mean, you, you would have said no because they had to shut down Beijing for the Olympics, you know, a month before to get rid of the smog. And Absolutely. It, and it is yeah. terrible up there. But, yes. they're, but, they're, but they are making efforts and, you know, they're doing so much all around the world in terms of getting resources that they, and they have the money to do it. Well, that's the thing. They've been buying up all the natural resources, right? right? And they're very long-term planners. Right. So they're looking at 10, 20, 30 years for all of this, right? right? So I look at that, you know, when, when I started my kind of search a couple of years ago on this, I was in, I was exploring mm -hmm. and I love to travel. Yeah. So that wasn't bad anyway. Um, and I was looking, but then I started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do, my own personal life. And I've been in New York for 30 years and I've worked in many other places and worked internationally. Uh, but you know, the, the core of my business was here in New York and, um, but there are so many great talented people there that, are, that live here and work here and, and have clients here. And for the other people, they're, by, they're, they're bringing their best clients in from Spain or England or France. Uh, they're, they're, I'm sorry, they're bringing the designers in, you know, doing work here as right. well. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Because if they have the money in their own place, they're already talking to the best person. And they bring them along to do work here. So I'm thinking that, you know, what's my next 10-year plan? I'm kind of migrating out of the not the high-end business here, but the interest to be in the city just for that. Okay. And also looking to explore. And here's the whole country that, I mean, I can't, I can't name another, I know other designers that are doing other work over there, but they're doing private homes brought from the States to do there. I want to start okay. something over there. Right. They're going to give me office space there. They're going to promote me. They're going to do cross-marketing. We're doing, we have two other projects we're talking about already. Um, I'm looking to do business there. And I've had people, Chinese nationals, working in my office in New York here that have moved back there. And so we're talking around WeChat every night. Figuring, great. Figuring out our plan. And, uh, okay. And it is a 24-7 world, right? So, yeah. you know, I talked with Jack a few hours ago and he's asleep now and I'm working talking to you. <laughs> I feel like when we started talking, one of the things that impressed me most about your initial trips to China was both the scale, you were able to kind of describe this massive scale and the massive opportunity you saw there. And I would love to tell Dennis about that. Tell us all about that. <laughs> yes. Well, I use the example with a lot of people because it's just easy. You know, if you think of the population and you kind of take 25% of the population, which means they're all of age to purchase things, um, you know, you've got 400 million people that are going to buy a chair next year in China gonna buy some kind of chair. It could be a cheap chair, it could be an expensive chair, it could be an American chair, it could be my chair by next year. Right. But somebody's gonna buy a chair. Right. You can't say the same in this country. So the market is huge over there and and somewhat dysfunctional and and uh, and variegated, you know, like like a flower because there's cities all over the place and the cities are all twenty million plus. And I'm sure sitting at this table that not everyone can name every large city that's in that country o over ten million. Um, I gave a, a talk last night and I used, uh, I was talking about the city of Nanjing, which is a small city. Right. Most people never heard of. Well, they have the same population as New York. Yeah. Right. And it's booming. Totally booming. So when you think about the scale of the country, 
not only the, the, uh, the overall density of people in terms of total number of people, although you don't, in the big cities you see a lot of people, but there's a lot of outlying areas where it's very rural and provincial. Right. And then, you know, beautiful landscaped areas, some of which I'm hoping to go to soon to be able to see the great mountains and other areas of the hinterlands of, of China. Um, besides this kind of scale of just the people in the cities, you you see that there's so much development everywhere. Now, some of that's been, some of that's done along with the government. Right. There's been a lot of uh, private public investment, and in particular Shenzhen, the city that I'm focusing on, mm-hmm. um, there has been in trying to incentives for uh, many companies to come there. So, for instance, one of the developers we're working with moved his whole business from Hong Kong into Shenzhen, which geographically, just for listener, is, you know, if you've been to Hong Kong Island, if you kind of throw your throw a penny over your shoulder back towards mainland China, that's Shenzhen behind you. Okay. And Shenzhen is comprised of about the distance from New York to East Hampton, which is about 85 or 90 miles. And it's in a little kind of boomerang, left-handed boomerang shape. And in that area, in, the, um, in what they call the Pearl River Straits, mm-hmm. that go up to Guangzhou, on the other side of that you have Macau, which is known for gambling now. Um, and they just built a new bridge there. Right. So access is easy everywhere. But if you think about a city that's only been around for 25 or 30 years, there it was basically like L.A., rolling hills from like the San Bernardino Mountains down through West Hollywood, down to the basin, out to Malibu. That's what Shenzhen's like. And it's incredible, uh, lush gardens, tropical. It used to all be farmland 25 years ago. There's 40,000 people there 25, 25 years ago. There's 25 million people there now. In Shenzhen. In Shenzhen alone. Right, so 80 miles long in this kind of left-hand loop. Right, uh, super great infrastructure, high-speed trains, underground. It's everything that you could imagine that a modern city could have. Right, that we all struggle for here in New York with a 150-year-old tra- transit exactly. system. What we thought this country would look like. Right. Well, maybe you know, maybe Musk will build that tunnel yes. and, and <laughs> exactly. we'll get to San Francisco really fast. Who knows? But uh, over there, they. It's because. <laughs> It's because it's not all private. So there's a, you know, it's basically all public. And so once the public, which means the government, gets involved and they want to make something happen, it happens very quickly. And the speed of construction is lightning fast. Normally, in our business, yeah. architecture and interiors, we lag behind, right? We can design away for as long as we want because we know construction is going to be delayed, the permits will be delayed, the contract is delayed, there's contract disputes. But here, they've got people living outside the building right next door, They've got a little, you know, camp going with like pots and, you know, fires going. And it's like medieval times, not in terms of the people that are there, but in terms of the fact that you could work 24-7, which is what happens. And, and that's so, what they do. Yeah. They so they build so they build so quickly. So when I was last at this uh, site of the new IADC Design Center in Shenzhen last year, um, I was there in September, I think. And I looked at the place and it's, you know, the building itself is a million square feet. Um, and then there's a huge complex, about three, three billion, three and a half billion dollar complex of high rises, museums, a little town structure, movie theaters, hotels, everything. I looked at it and I said, just, just no way on the planet this place will be done. Right. They said, oh, we're going to open at the end of 2018. And I said, you know, <laughs> 2024 maybe. Good luck. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, like the, at the pace of here in New York City, when you see something large and scalable like uh, Hudson Yards getting built, 
you know, that takes years of permitting and then t- tons of construction time and you've got labor unions and everything. Forget about all that there. Oh, it yeah. just happens so quickly. The government wants it done. They're trying to build this new this new infrastructure in this city up in the upper kind of end of it now. Um, and this complex is close by uh, Shenzhen Airport. So very good for local people, uh, international people, all is kind of a central hub. If you look on the map right. and you pinpoint the directions from India and other countries to come in here to shop, this is the place to be. And so along with these incentives um, and the growth of this new city and the fact that it you know feels like being in LA right down on the beach, um, You've got everything you want in a modern city. And so four years ago, I started my search looking around for the cities that I wanted to go to. I traveled around. I went to all the big cities and I gave lectures and book signings and tours and master class teaching and the like uh, in interior design. And, uh, and I was trying to find one, the right relationship and two, the right location where I would feel at home, where I would potentially want to bring my family someday. So that, that's what you had in mind at the time that you were on this sort of scouting trip was, would I want to bring my family here? Would we want to live here for a while? Well, I have always kind of sought out the opportunities in design, which might seem difficult for others, but present incredible opportunity for growth and expansion. And so, you know, I was down in South Beach in the 80s and I was in Soho in the late 80s. And right. So I'm in all these areas. Yeah where there's things going on, it's kind of new, it's no, it's, it, you have to be a bit of a pioneer and believe in the future. And so not only, as we've all seen economically, the powerhouse that China's become over the last decade, they've matured a lot, even in the last three or four years, in the kind of furniture and design business as well. And I say that because when I went to Chengdu four years ago, and I was sitting there in the, in the hall looking at all the different furniture companies that were there, predominantly uh, Japanese, kind of high-lacquered, uh, Baroque-carved furniture, okay. something no one in this city would buy, New York City. Right. Um, and it was still being sold there. I said, oh, maybe they're many years behind. But then two years later, it was all gone, and it's all new. And it's much, looking much more like upscale Crate and Barrel or downscale Holly Hunt. Um, Interesting. And, and where is all that coming from? There's a few national distributors that are in China, but nobody great. Okay. A couple like, you know, some company may have 60 stores over the country, which is big. Right. This kind of, I think probably 60 is the max. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, uh, Crate and Barrel might have 2,000 stores here or something like that. Right. And, and so it's also because each city is different and um, there's not a kind of a unified approach to design. Beijing is very much... You know, like Washington, D.C., a little bit more conservative, older houses, okay. maybe less modern, a little bit more um, uh, classical or, or classical Chinese. Okay. But then you go farther to the south and it becomes more modern. And, and Shanghai is on equivalent of New York. People there have the same kind of level of style and taste. But you've also seen with the growth of their economy, the Chinese um, having incredible uh, wealth expansion, right? Yes. There's more billionaires in Shenzhen City alone than are in California and Silicon Valley. That, yeah. that happened last year. Yeah. And it's increasing every year. All the major luxury brands in, in Europe, Prada and Xenia, places that you might shop. Exactly. <laughs> places that I'm a regular. But you make your own clothes. I know that about well, you. Well, that, that's true. But, uh, but I wonder, what's your, what's your take on where all that wealth suddenly came from? So, so we know sort of Russian oligarchs were kind of given all the utilities. And, I mean, but, but how did the Chinese wealth grow so quickly and, and to such great numbers? Um, 
Well, first of all, they, they have new infrastructure. And, and so kind of working backwards from the uh, latest plan from the president, which is all about uh, materials, uh, energy, and design. Mm -hmm. And that's all kind of centered around the what's Chinese happening. Chinese president. Yeah. yeah. That, that, sorry. That, that's all what's happening right in Shenzhen. You know, that, that's where the industrial complex is. That's where they're making a lot of that stuff. That's where the major IT technology is going on. And so working backwards, they, they're seeing their own future before them and where they need to be. Um, people listening to this will say, oh, you know, we're gonna, if we want to do furniture in China, they're going to knock it off. They're going to copy everything. Sure, and, 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 and that made, has been the case. Yeah, and they've made tons of money doing that, and, and it's a, it's a well-known kind of principle, but they're trying to become global citizens and to kind of step up to that next level, both on a, on a, on a developmental um, and government uh, level. To become world citizens, you got to become proper and you got to do things the right way and so they're, they're trying to clean up that okay as well and I think um, you know years ago when I had some friends of mine in the business that had that uh, that sued people because they copied their designs and they lamented you know I've been in a suit for five years and it's going back and forth and we spent so much money right. forget about the amount of money that gets spent it's the time value because in our business time is equated with being able to have time to be creative right and if you kill that creative time, then you're not growing your business. Sure. So I always tell these people, you know, the only way to combat that is innovation. You just got to innovate. Got to make something new. Now, if I had designed the Tizio lamp, for instance, right. and somebody was copying that and they sell a million copies a year, I might go sue somebody for it. But not for these kind of smaller designs yeah. that, you know, you might sell a thousand, a couple thousand units. Just go design the next great thing you're, you're going to do. It's going to be what you want to do anyway. So... That's been a little bit of the kind of pushback that certain people, certain brands that we're talking to going into. They say, well, how am I going to protect myself in this market? Right. And I said, well, first of all, you're going to innovate. Second of all, people love everything American there right now. And they like things that are really well made. They don't want cheap artifacts. And if you're using, you know, metals and leathers and fine finished woods, you will, you know, you'll succeed because you'll do something that somebody can't copy, which is important. So like the Chinese, you're looking at your 10-year plan. Right. right, And you're thinking, where, where am I going to be? And Tatiana, your lovely wife Tatiana, is she on board with uh, packing up the kids and moving to China? Well, she's doing all the social media. She's, she's, she's she locked is. in. I, I well, locked her in. Who, who I, got that, I got that contract done before anything else. <laughs> that, was, that was very smart to lock her in. We down. actually had planned to do a big trip coming up in a few weeks. I have, okay. to, go, I have to go in a week to China for two weeks. And uh, we had planned to do a, a family trip around there and go to Bali and some other places and, oh, nice. and do the big grand tour over there. Okay. Um, but part of that 10-year plan for me personally is also about education and travel for the kids. And if I can bring them over and experience a new environment over there and get right. some language, yes. um, I think that's important. And as and you build a business in China, what is that like? What is, what is different about doing business in China or building a business in China? Sure. Someone asked me last week, he said, well, you're just about to start these projects there. And so they say, like, what's scary? And they said, well, uh, first of all, it's metric. Second of all, it's RMB and not dollars. Third of all, I don't speak yeah. the language. Yeah. Fourth of all, I can't do any of the drawings there. So basically, everything that I know well here, I can't do there. So you can't do any of the drawings there, meaning? Well, no, I mean, we do the design drawings in metric here Got it. For, okay. the, for the projects, but then right. we give them to people over there. Got it. Okay. We're getting back to your... First question, um, taxation. <laughs> um, I'm learning more about that that aspect of it. Right now, we're trying to do everything like just, uh, you know, pay me in the states and and uh, and I'll do the work there, kind of thing. But you know, to be to really uh, 
to commit to to commit down there, and that's one of the important things. You know, one of the meetings that we had in New York recently, they they looked at me square in the eye and said, "You know, how committed are you to this?" Because I'm out there being a brand ambassador for them. I'm sure. making these connections and relationships, and it's based on trust. Like, is it going to get built? Yeah, it's already built. You know, can we make money there? I don't know, but it's not going to cost you much to try. And by the way, there's a huge company behind you, and there'll be a lot of uh, media events and and TV and other aspects to help create this thing. So I'm trying to I'm trying to do a kind of a, a frictionless beginning for my own experience there. Um, and I've just been very lucky. I've, I've met the right people, um, spent the time, and um, I'm doing a lot of work on the come just to make things happen over there, and hopefully it all does. But if it doesn't, it's a great experience. Sure, you've learned so much already, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I can speak to speak already, right? I, I just don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> well, yeah. but, you, but you've got WeChat to get But I'm going to start. I'm going to do, you know, uh, Duolingo. 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 Mandarin. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to start that. And this trip. It's a, it's a great app to learn. My wife learned Spanish with Duolingo, and it's a, it's a great tool for that. So to, to Caitlin's point, what, what is the biggest difference between sort of doing business with the Chinese and, and sort of doing business with these design centers here in America? Because you've had a lot of experience with developing lines and... There still has a great deal amount of uh, face and, and respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in my recent negotiations, which were kind of non-negotiations because they didn't want to negotiate, they didn't want to say we don't want to spend as much um, or we don't want to pay you as much, it was more like we think the project will be better because of this. So okay. you talk around the issues and... Um, you know, it's. I, I haven't found it to be that tough because I'm not that deep into it yet. Um, but I can tell you that design is not respected as much there. So if you look at kind of the three models, the great kind of Western European model, where people are respected for their design talents, mm-hmm. and you get paid more fee in design than you do uh, in procurement, right? To the U.S. model, which is a balance on the high end, let's say, of getting a nice fee and you also charge 25 or 35% of net cost of product, right? Right. To China, where they don't want to pay you for design, you got to give them four, this is the kind of, this is a typical relationship with designer. I'm not going to pay you for the design. Give me four full presentations and I'll pick one. And then as a designer, uh, instead of going to the D&D to buy, I'm going to go to Chicago where they actually make the furniture, walk in the factory door and see if I can cut a deal for that same piece of furniture paying 12 times less, and that's how I'll make my money. So it's a very immature and distorted system so far where people are not respected that much for the design that they're doing in the first instance, where where we think of it as our intellectual property. Sure. Because anybody could do the purchasing, and particularly now with the internet, you can make good deals and not, and we don't get that great a discount from some of the internet sites Right, that that one does, let's say, in the only to the trade business, like in the D and D building here in New York City. So the model is immature over there, but also the design business itself is immature. As I explained before, you've got these huge towers that there's no designers, and people are just paying a company to come in and park furniture in their in their apartment, thirty apartments per per month. So lots of architects, but no interior designers, as you yeah. were saying earlier. That's part of the part of the challenge, and part of that is because they don't respect the interior design process, or they don't value that. You told me that there's no interior design school in all of China. Is that there's no there's no right. fully accredited program mm-hmm. at the level that we're talking about with uh, bringing a, 
you know, very well-known U.S. company over there, U.S. school over there um, in, in China right now, which is why all these companies with hundreds of designers are struggling for design education because they're just looking at the last month's magazine trying to cobble something together. And, 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 and to that point, when I've given talks, people say to me, where did that idea come from? How did you come up with a concept for that design? And I say, you know, it's really sad that you say that because here you are in a country, you've got two and a half thousand more years of history, cultural and, and design history, and, and yet you're not able in this generation yet to draw from it. But I think this is changing. I also think that, you know, conversely, the window of opportunity for Americans there is probably the next decade which is my time frame, I'm right. thinking, right? Sure. Because after that, and after we establish this educational program, the average Chinese interior designer who's coming up will have already been schooled 18 years in their life of culture and what's important and the value of the color red and what the signs mean and everything else that we don't think about as much. Perhaps in this country, on, this, on the same level, um, the, the important things in, in history for them, um, not related to communism, but more kind of historical, once they can start to draw upon that for their design inspiration, they will touch a chord in the average consumer that we can't hope to ever, we could maybe read about it, but we're not going to be able to have it ingrained in our, in our spirit and, right. and the way in which we design. And so I, I tell people, you know, just look inside yourself. Look deep inside yourself and, and find your core and, and your values, and, and the design inspiration will come out of that. But that happened very often. I would go talk someplace and they'd say, well, how did you come up with a concept for that design? And i go, well, that's, that's the only way I can start. Sure. I don't start by figuring out the size of the rug and the color of the chair. I work backwards into it from a conceptual design, which is steeped in history or in culture or in the client or in the location or the temperature or whatever grabs you at the moment to, to make up a design idea. But the thread has to be complete. Right, you can't, and that's the difference between, let's say, kind of pastiche decoration is that you, when you have some really good design idea at the core of what you do, then you're able to thread that through every decision you make, and it becomes much easier. So, in explaining this to them, they said, "Oh, yeah, I, I see. I just have to have an idea before I can start." And they said, "Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's, there you go. That's <laughs> that. That's where you start yes. from." But but um, but it's such a, a inspirational place to be because they're such. They're so eager for knowledge. Right. They're so eager to learn. And, you know, we're, we're, I've been in New York, as I said, 30 years. And the people who are really good at design business here, they're kind of jaded. And, and they... No. You know, they, I mean, they, they, they're like, oh, that's, that doesn't have any good style. Or it's like, you know, they, they, they're so, there's a lot of kind of pessimism about the design business here. And so, well, you know, why not go further yes. afield and say, well, the world is your oyster over right. there. And I'm, and I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open, what do they call that in, in, uh, in the internet? Um, open architecture, right? right? I'm open architecture. I want everyone to come over there because I can tell you that if we all came over there, if every great New York designer came over there, you'd only be touching, you know, 1% of the market. Incredible. And is part of the is part of the reason that you're going over there and looking over there because of this cynicism and, and frustration that you find here in the American market? I just think uh, there's a you know as the internet came along, every client, every potential client here is much more educated, which is a good thing. Right. On on the other hand, I think there's less um, freestyle, creative, innovative design from the source going on. I think it's more of editing that's going on here now right. in our business. And um, 
you know, maybe that'll happen over there as well. But, you know, I love projects and I've been very lucky over the years to deal with a lot of great clients who just kind of trust me to go find something great for them. And uh, since we do so much custom work, yes. that's actually become more important now because everyone can have everything because it's all accessible, uh, you know, through, through a couple clicks that in order to do something, I'm working on a house in, in Telluride, Colorado right now where we're doing mostly custom and the clients, I've worked with the client before on another project and, um, you know, she's doing, I did that project 18 years ago when there was no internet and now she can find everything and she's, you know, sent me things to look at but she still wants things to be custom because she wants it to be personal and she wants to be involved. Um, and so there's no lack of great craftsmanship right. in China and the ability to have anything made over there. You just have to find the right person in the right location. And so Guangzhou in that area, back to Shenzhen, mm -hmm. is kind of the area where all that happens. Okay, so the market is fresh and has all of these new opportunities, and that's what's especially appealing to you about this. Yes, yes. I think it's just a, it's a land of opportunity. Brave it's, new world. Yeah, it seems inaccessible to most people because you open up a website and you can't read anything. Right. Right? And even the English version of it isn't... It's fully mind-blowing and confusing. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I go on the Alibaba site, and I mean, it, it just makes your head spin. I so, so I, interestingly, uh, just from a technical point of view, I was in touch with the people over there yesterday, and, and so they sent me a, that, we could, that we could download all this information from this site, because Dropbox doesn't work over there. And there's a number of, you know... The security issues. There's a kind right. of not, uh, security issues, you know, Facebook and other things like that. So yeah. certain things don't work over there. Yeah. And most everyone works in a, in a VPN, a, vi a virtual private network. Mm -hmm. They get their own little, like, network to come and give you stuff. But there's a couple of public access sites, and one of them is Baidu. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they said, we're going to send everything through Baidu. And I said, oh, great. And so I click on Baidu, and, you know, it's all in Chinese. <laughs> so I have to send them a screenshot just to get a primer, like, what's the word for download? Yeah. Like, where do we go more? Or Right. So I have that primer actually as of today. So I can actually download the file today. Oh, good. Okay. You see the progress that you're making? I know we have to let you go, but... It, it really does sound like like you're like you're going to China in a, in a big way, can't you? Well, thank you so much, Caitlin and Dennis, for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to expound on this, and uh, you know, people want to get in touch with me to learn more about it. And I'm happy to, as I said, I'm open access. I want people to go over there and to to enjoy. There's so much culture and history. I've only scratched the surface of that country, and I've been to yeah. 12 of the major cities, and there's so much more to see. Um, everywhere, you know, cultural sites and and, uh, and the food is amazing. Last time I was there, I, I counted the number of uh, meals I had, you know, from the moment I landed to the moment I left. Right. Took photographs of most of them, and I and I had thirty seven different meals. Um, each one was completely different. Than completely different. Yeah. And do you, and are you very adventuresome about food? And so you just eat whatever's there, and you go, oh, this is interesting, great. What was that? It was <laughs> tale of what? It was. I, yeah, I'll eat, I'll eat anything over there, and, yeah. uh, and I've, I've had a lot of interesting stuff. Um, sea cucumber is one thing that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, it's like a big slug on a plate. Um, but, you know, the meals go on for hours, and they have a big lazy Susan in the middle, and you yeah. just eat until you drop. Well, it's, it's, it sounds very exciting, and, I, and I'm so glad that you could come in and, and talk to us about it, because we've been buzzing about it in the office for, for weeks, and so it, it's great to have you here and, and explain this, uh, as you say, brave, brave new world that you're embarking into. So Thank you. Good Thanks. luck, and, um, and we look forward to an update on how it's all going. I will come back. 
Absolutely. Come Please back do. after we open and give you a, an update on that. Great. We look forward to that. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps to grow our audience. Thanks again to our sponsor and our producer. You can find us on editoratlarge.com or Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week.